Welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny. I'm the lead pastor here at Swerve, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in and listening to this week's sermon. I pray and hope that it is a huge encouragement and a help to you in your walk with Christ. Swerve is one church in two locations, and you're invited to join us in person Sundays at 10 a.m. at 239 Stanhope Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn, or Sundays at 12 p.m. at 407 Wilson Avenue in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I pray that this message is a huge encouragement to you. You can tell a lot about someone just by looking at their hands. Uh, for example, you can distinguish a youthful hand from an older one just by looking at it. Maybe there's a, a few more wrinkles, maybe some more veins that you can see popping through, or you can maybe see the lack of experience on the hands of a younger person. You can also often tell how much someone uses their hands by looking at it. Uh, for example, someone who has perfectly manicured hands, not one cut or bruise on it, probably doesn't work in construction. Maybe they sit at a desk or they work a lot on computers, they pick up phone calls all day. On the other hand, someone who works with their hands a lot might have some cuts and bruises. Their hands might be more rough. For example, I have some friends who play a lot of handball. <laughs> shaking their hands is like shaking hands with sandpaper. And someone who plays guitar often uh, develops calluses on their fingertips from where their fingers make contacts with the string. And that's why for someone who isn't as experienced at practice, it can be quite painful to play the guitar. You can tell a lot about someone by looking at their hands, which leads me to ask the question, what do you think the hands of Jesus were like? Something tells me they probably were in perfectly manicured hands. I mean, he was a carpenter by trade after all, which means he probably had splinters in his hands. Uh, they were probably callous from picking up heavy material and not to mention his ministry, which kept him busy traveling from town to town. He probably had dirt under his fingernails. Uh, Jesus was a busy guy, and he was an incredibly hard worker. And that's why today, I want to talk about the hands of a Lead Like Jesus leader. The hands represent the actions one takes. It represents the work one puts in. It communicates what definitive actions we make as leaders. And throughout this series, I've been putting my bias out there. And that is that I believe each and every single one of you are leaders. And maybe when you woke up this morning, you didn't see this about yourself. Or maybe every day when you head into work, you don't feel this way about yourself. Allow me to call this out in you. Not only do I believe this about you, but I need you to see yourself this way. Your church needs you to see yourself this way. God wants you to see yourself as a leader commissioned by Him to lead at whatever capacity and whatever He has placed you. You see, guys, leaders don't sit by the sidelines. They get in the game. Leaders are not passive. They are active, mobile, forward-moving, and forward-thinking. Leaders do not simply identify problems. They come up with and implement solutions. And I believe there's a God-given leadership potential in each and every single one of you. I need you. God needs you. Your neighbors, your family, your community needs you to step up to the leadership potential that God has placed inside of you. So as we continue our series, I want to discuss today the hands of a leader. I want to see in what ways Jesus used his hands and what actions he took in order to have a successful leadership and leave a lasting impact. And in doing so, we want to follow his lead. So I have four quick ideas for us today in regards to the hands of a leader. To lead like Jesus, number one, you can write this down, we must empower others. I honestly believe that today we might struggle with some of the ideas that we're going to talk about. Because when we talk about the hands, we're talking about what we do. We're not simply spitballing philosophical ideas. Or we're talking about implementation. And let's be honest, this is something that is difficult to do for many of us. Uh, talking is easy. Identifying challenges and difficulties, that's easy to do. And honestly, that's what many people do. 
I mean, it's all you see on social media, right? Everyone has an opinion, and their opinion is the right one. Lots of ideas, zero implementation. And perhaps when you think of the hands of a leader, this isn't one of the qualities you think about first. And the truth is that this is a challenging one to start with because we like to do things ourselves. We're very independent people. So empowering others becomes a challenge. You've heard the saying, if you want to do things right, you got to do it yourself. So this idea of using your hands to empower someone else can be a scary thought for some of us. Yet when you examine the life, ministry, and leadership of Jesus, he was an absolute master at empowering others to lead. Not just empowering amazing, five-star, top-tier, cream-of-the-crop, go-get-em type leaders, but honestly, people who others would overlook and would probably even reject. For example, we read about a time when, where Jesus was recruiting who would become his 12 disciples. And these were the 12 men Jesus would equip, pour into, spend the most time with, and he would eventually unleash to flip the world upside down. And among the people he chose, a couple of brothers who were fishermen. Look at how Jesus calls Peter and Andrew in the Gospel of Matthew. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Here we see Jesus calling out some unlikely people to join him on fulfilling his God-given purpose. Now, oddly enough, these guys weren't necessarily highly educated people. They certainly weren't extremely wealthy. They weren't astute religious leaders. They were just some blue-collared, hard-working fishermen. And when Jesus calls them, he doesn't bring them into a position of simply yes-men. Jesus is not just looking to form a posse. He doesn't want to have, a, have groupies or fanboys. He calls these men into a greater purpose. He gives them a greater responsibility. He says, I will make you fishers of men. In other words, Jesus' take is that he's not going to do all the work and ministry alone, but instead he's going to pour into, invest, empower, and unleash leaders to accomplish the task. And this isn't only evidence in the call, but we see this even implemented through Jesus' ministry. For example, the Gospel of Mark shares for us a time when Jesus gathered his disciples together, not just to teach them another lesson, but to empower them to lead. Look at Mark chapter 6. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Jesus empowered the disciples to lead and do ministry. He sent them out to serve others. He gave them the authority to work. He didn't leave them alone or without any direction. No, he gave them instructions, but then he empowered them to lead and do ministry. This might be a challenge for some of us. Delegating and empowering others to lead is a scary idea for some of us. If you're anything like me, I'm a perfectionist. I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I'm very passionate about God and ministry. So empowering others to lead can be a challenge for me as well. Yet what we see modeled in the life of Jesus is that he didn't just use his hands all the time, but he used the hands of others to accomplish even more. To lead like Jesus, uh, we must, number two in your notes, collaborate together. And this carries over a little more of what we just spoke about, but it differs just a little bit. In the word collaborate, you can hear the word co-labor. In other words, to labor alongside of. 
to work together. And this is another challenge for many of us. Sometimes we just prefer to do things alone because we tend to think we can get the job done better by ourselves. If there's someone else tagging along, it's just going to slow us down from accomplishing the task. If there were a rating system at your job or in your school that rated your ability to collaborate with others, what would be your score? For some of us, we'd get an F with a comment on the side that says, does not play nice with others. But in Jesus' life and ministry and leadership, we see a huge amount of collaboration displayed. Even early on in the ministry of the disciples, when they were just apprentices and would screw up all the time. And not the disciples that we see in the book of Acts, right? Those guys are much more developed and much more mature by that time. But even early on, Jesus found ways to co-labor alongside of them, to involve them in the ministry, to take them off of the sidelines and put them in the game, and to, to get them from spectator to participator. Uh, for example, you all are probably pretty familiar with the miracle that Jesus performed in feeding the 5,000 in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, there's a bunch of people listening to Jesus teach all day, but no one has had a bite to eat. Tummies are grumbling, and you know how people get when they're hangry, right? So you know what Jesus does next. They get a boy's lunch, and it's miraculously multiplied to feed the whole crowd. But I wonder if you ever notice this detail of collaboration. Let's read in Matthew chapter 14. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Did you catch that? Jesus prayed, God did the miracle, but then the disciples are brought in to distribute the food to the people. Jesus literally used his hands to bless the food and then used the disciples' hands to distribute it. Could there have been a different way of getting the food to the people? I suppose so. He could have assembly lined the whole process. He could have made it rain bread and fish from heaven like manna rained from heaven during the Exodus. But yet he chose to use the hands of the disciples to serve the crowds. There was collaboration. And when we consider our leadership, at whatever level or capacity God has called you to lead, whether that's at home, work, ministry, or life, do you welcome collaboration? Now, come on, guys. Now, let's be real. We're New Yorkers, right? We get things done. We're independent. We're resilient. And collaboration is probably something we don't give mind to or easily welcome into our lives. But there's an efficiency in collaboration. There is a, a buy-in that takes place when your ministry becomes our ministry or your leadership becomes our leadership. Can you think of some ways that you can invite collaboration into your leadership? What does that look like in your sphere of influence, where, where you work, where you live, where you play? I pray that the Lord would download some ideas into your brains and into your hearts today. To lead like Jesus, number three, we must serve selflessly. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen a pattern here already, right? In some way or another, whether we're talking about the, the heart, the head, or the hands of a leader, you know that service will make its way into the conversation, especially when we're looking at the most selfless, sacrificial, and humble of servant leaders like Jesus. There's countless examples in the Gospels that point to Jesus as an example of a servant. I mean... He even said this of himself, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so over and over again, we see Jesus putting the needs of others ahead of his own. He constantly served others 
And in so doing, he, he brought a picture of what the kingdom on heaven looks like. For example, there was a time when Jesus healed a diseased man. Now here's what you need to understand about this disease. The disease was leprosy. And it was a very disgusting disease that led to the person not only being impure from the outside, but as seen by the rest of the people, they were impure internally as well. Now, people with the disease or leprosy were unable to worship with their community. They, they were siloed from their family. Essentially, they were rejected by society, and no one would come even close to them. Everywhere they walked, whenever they approached people, they would have to communicate their diagnosis to the people by, by yelling out and shouting and saying, unclean, unclean, warning passerbys to stay away from them or risk becoming unclean themselves. But all that would change when Jesus was involved. You see, for Jesus, impurity would not fall onto him. Instead, his purity would infect that which was impure. Check out this example from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Here, we see Jesus' hand, hands in action. And if we were a fly on the wall as Jesus extends his hand to touch the skin of this leper, you would feel the air sucked out of the atmosphere as everyone would see Jesus essentially risk his own purity and reputation by touching the diseased man. Yet Jesus' selfless service led to the healing of this man. And we see this modeled constantly through the life and ministry of Jesus. His leadership was absolutely covered in selfless service. The lesson being to his disciples and in turn to all of us that to lead is to serve. Let me give you guys another example in the Gospels. Of course, we're all familiar with Peter, but did you know that on one occasion, Peter's mother-in-law was deathly ill? She was on her deathbed. Everyone thought she was a goner, except that Jesus would step in the home. And when Jesus steps into a home, changes happen. All right? and here's what Matthew records for us in chapter 8. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with the fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. Here we see Jesus' hand once again being outstretched not to serve himself, not to have his hand shaken by royalty or to have his ring kissed in adoration, but instead to serve a woman who was near death. The best part of this story to me is the fact that after Jesus serves her, she gets up out of bed and she begins to serve him. She goes from being nearly dead to asking, all right, who wants a cup of Bustelo? You see, after one has been served graciously by Jesus, it is impossible to sit back and do nothing. If you have truly gotten a glimpse at the great humility, love, and mercy of Jesus, then the only natural response is to do the same of what he's done for you. Is this descriptive of how you lead? Do you lead selflessly? What does this look like in your current field of leadership? I don't know. That's a question for you to ask God and consider. And then seek out ways to lead like Jesus by serving selflessly. Here's the last thought for today. Okay, number four, to lead like Jesus, we must take action. And perhaps one of the greatest representations of what the hands are is a picture of action. You see, you can have a lot of great ideas, lots of dreams and aspirations, but until you take action on those things, those dreams will never become a reality. I'm afraid many people stay stuck in a world of idealism 
that never actually implements those ideas. And listen, I'm as much a dreamer as the next guy. I love to dream and design and plan, but unless there is action, dreams continue to live as figments of our imagination. Plans don't come to fruition unless we move and act. If anyone was not only an amazing teacher and vision caster and thinker, but an action taker, it would have to be Jesus. He only lived a short 33 years of life. His public ministry lasted only about three and a half years. But in that short amount of time, he was an incredible action taker. For example, consider the passage from Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Jesus' ministry is growing. Word is spreading. People are getting a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven kissing the earth. And check out what action Jesus is taking. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. What you need to understand about the life and ministry of Jesus is that he healed and served way more people than we can even imagine. I mean, we know some of the individual stories that the gospel authors highlighted for us. But when we read these blanket statements where the people brought all who were afflicted and suffering and all who were in pain, and Matthew just writes, and he healed them. Jesus' hands were busy. He had a fruitful ministry and he had the receipts to show it. You know, so often when we think of Christian leadership, especially, we, we love to romanticize the platform. In other words, having the gift of gab to capture the audience's attention, to be applauded and admired by many. But Jesus' ministry in his hands did so much more. He was in the weeds with the people, meeting their needs, touching people where they needed it the most. A leader's hands take action. Jesus would confirm this as well. Obviously, his hands were busy in ministry, but he realized that his hands alone wouldn't be able to accomplish everything that God has in mind for his people. So check out what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, check this out. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says here that we do not have a harvest problem? In other words, God's heart has been and always will be to see many come to experience salvation, to respond to the good news of the kingdom. God's predisposition isn't just to let the world go to hell in a handbasket. No, the harvest is plentiful. But here's the issue. The workers are few. We don't have a harvest problem. We have a labor shortage. There's many people who God wants to welcome into his heavenly fold, but there's a lack of people willing to put in the work to see it happen. Guys, a, a lead like Jesus leader puts their hands to the plow and gets their hands dirty. We put our hands to work. We take action because the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. So what's it going to be, leaders? Are you going to put your hands to work? Are you going to spring into action? Because here's the thing. Your friend that you care about so much, that's been putting their faith in relationships and putting their faith in their profession, who's been seeking purpose, they need you to lead and harvest them towards the kingdom of God. 
The same thing with your family members and your neighbors. Our neighbors on this block. Jesus was a man of action. And aren't you glad that he was? Because with the same hands that he used to heal the sick and free the oppressed, he used to carry a cross up Calvary. It was with those same hands that they nailed to a tree. And for what reason? To be the perfect sacrifice for you and me. As the sacrificial lamb in our place for our sin, Jesus died in our place to absorb the wrath and punishment of God. His blood able to wash away our sins so that we can in turn receive God's forgiveness. But the good news of the gospel didn't end with Jesus in the grave. Three days later, Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death, and he rose from the grave. So now all who look to Jesus and accept God's free gift of grace can have not only forgiveness of sin, but new life, now and in eternity. And this is perhaps Jesus' greatest act of action, and he did it out of his immense love for you and me. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you're invited to a relationship with the God of the universe to more purpose than you can ever imagine, to the forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life. But it all begins with putting your faith, your trust, your confidence, not in self, but in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be leaders that empower others, help us to see the best in others, and to call out the potential in them. I pray, God, that we would be collaborators, that we would co-labor with you in the work that you're already doing, that we would co-labor alongside one another, realizing that we can go further, faster together. God, help us to serve selflessly. Help us to reject selfishness, to reject selfish thinking and actions, and instead seek out ways to serve others in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in recreation. Help us to use our hands for action, that we wouldn't be an immobile people or a stagnant people, but that instead, God, we'd be a church of movers and shakers, not for the glory of self, or for the glory of our church, but for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.